0: So most of you know I am the director of our kids' ministry here at Hope City, called Hope City Kids. And for the last several months, if you have a kid here, then you know that we have been doing a curriculum called the Gospel Project. And I am loving it because it goes step by step through the Word. We started in Genesis back in September, and we've slowly but surely been making our way all the way through. We're only... (laughs) In Deuteronomy, so we haven't gotten very far, right? And today, the kids are learning about the crossing of the Jordan River, which takes the Israelites from their 40-year wilderness journey, wandering in the wilderness, to the promised land. So that's where your kids are today. It's pretty exciting stuff. But through this, God has probably been teaching me more than he's been teaching any of the kids as it has just been so amazing to journey with these spiritual leaders like Abraham and Moses and just everything we can learn through them and their stories and how all of it ultimately points to the gospel, points to Jesus. It is incredible how the whole scripture lines up and goes together to point to Jesus. So that's where your kids are at. And today we're just going to be joining Moses. Okay, this guy Moses, if you've been in church at all before, you've probably heard of him. One of the most incredible leaders in the whole Bible because he talked with God face to face. Can you imagine? So legitimately, he was favored, highly favored by God and chosen, Moses. And he was chosen to lead God's chosen people, the Israelites, from their slavery in Egypt, just a little backstory, all the way through 40 years of wandering, and he was a man. He was a man to do it. So today, our story is going to pick up on the banks of the Jordan River. Now, Moses had made a couple of bad leadership decisions, and as part of the consequence of that, he was not himself going to be leading these people into the land. But I don't know. As I was praying through that, I'm like, he had been leading them for so long, and it had been a long, hard journey. I mean, by this point, he was 120 years old, and he was probably a little bit tired, so I don't know if he was super disappointed about the fact that he wasn't going to be like having to lead them all the way in, because they were stubborn and a little (laughs) stiff-necked if you can relate to that and they they didn't want to hear everything he was laying down sometimes quite quite a lot honestly so I just imagine by this point when he's on the banks of that river he's thinking about everything God has done for him uh through him thinking about the whole journey that he's probably like oh Lord, I've seen you face to face and I am ready. I'm done. But whatever. Um, So here he is. And the bottom line that I want you to uh, be thinking about here is that as he is giving his kind of farewell address, that's basically what the whole book of Deuteronomy is, is he's talking about the last things that he wants to leave to these people. Okay? So he's led them for all these years. What do I want to say? So when a really great leader like that is saying his last words to his people, like, I want to pay attention to what he's talking about, right? Makes sense. So basically, he starts out the first few books of Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, the first few chapters, just reviewing a few of the highs and the lows of their journey through the wilderness. Then in uh, chapter five, he reviews the Ten Commandments that he received on the stone tablets, And then we get to chapter 6. So we're going to start off today in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be up on the screen as well. But chapter 6, verse 4, is where we're going to start. And this chapter just kind of prefaces the whole rest of the book in which He goes through and reviews all the laws and all the stipulations that God has laid out for his people, okay? But we're just going to be really practical here this morning, if that's okay, and we're just going to pull out a few of the truths that Moses has for these people. And I want to remind you, too, that a large part of the reason I believe that God even put the story of the Israelites and the 40-year journey and all of that into the Bible— is because it is a picture, if you will, of our lives with Jesus in the new covenant. Okay? How many of us today, as we sung about, are slaves or have been slaves to certain things in our lives, and we need a breakthrough? How many of you know here in the South that so many of us have been wandering for years in the wilderness of religiosity and believing that we have to perform or act a certain way to earn the love of God, right? And we have been wandering in these wildernesses of unbelief or believing lies, believing the wrong thing. But I just want you to believe with me today that we are ready for breakthrough. Hope City, do you know that we are poised and ready? You guys are tired this morning. We are poised and ready to walk in to the land that God wants to give us that's going to look different than what our past generations have walked through when it comes to defining their faith. Do you understand that this morning? God has more for you. He has even more for your kids. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> Tough crowd Y'all need to wake up It's a rainy Sunday morning I get it, I get it Anyways So There are just a few practical steps That Moses highlights In taking The Israelites Through how they're going to live To receive that Promised land Okay So he starts off In verse 4 With a prayer called the Shema That you will hear Some Some Really, really profound, devout, there you go, devout Jews still saying today, listen up. I could preach a whole sermon just on this. It says, verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I'll say it to you guys, hear, hope, city, the Lord our God the Lord is one. And that right there was profound and that he was reminding them of a couple of things. Before he laid out any more of his uh, laws and stipulations, he was reminding them, the Lord is your God. It is so personal. You have been the chosen people. You have been the called. And now, in the New Testament, I'm talking to you. He is your God. And before he said anything else, he wanted them to know, God is personal. Your identity is in him, in him alone. Your God is one. And that also was really key to this culture. Because you have to understand that the Israelites were the only people, basically, that believed in one God. Okay, polytheism was huge. In that culture back then, everybody believed in multiple gods. So the fact that the Israelites worshipped Yahweh, the one true God, and God alone really set them apart. Okay, very important. Let's go on here with verse uh, 6. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. He was differentiating because he had just... Reminded them of the stone tablet commandments. But he's saying, no more. We're going to write them on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heart. Hands, excuse me. And bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, I want to talk for just a second about uh, verse seven, that word impress. Impress them on your children. Literally, as I was studying that, I found that word uh, really a lot more powerful than what we would think. Just impress. I may, if I read that, think, oh, okay, you know, talk about it, whatever. But really, that word means to what? W-H-E-T, like almost like Sharpening, think of sharpening a knife. Think of the process. It's not just one swipe, it's over and over and over, okay? Repetitive. You're impressing something, you're sharpening it. One commentary I read said to poke the soul, okay? So you're really beating. I don't know if that's the right word, but poking, pressing these truths into the next generation. Okay, so wake up if you're sitting here and you don't have kids. I love seeing heads snap up when I say that. Uh, You're not off the hook because I just want you to think about the Israeli culture. I don't know how many of you are aware, but when, when they talked about family, like, our concept of family of a mom and a dad and kids would have been almost foreign to them because they were talking about the whole family. (laughs) And then the clans and the tribes, everybody basically lived together. Like you would have your husband or wife, your kids, your sisters, your brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody. So, I really feel like when Moses was saying, impress this on your children, that he was just assuming, like, the children in your community, not just your kids. Both are obviously very important, but I want you to understand that if you're sitting here and you don't have kids yet, you're not off the hook, okay? Talking to you. All right. So... It's all so important. And uh, what does he say to do? Of course, like I said, impress. But then tie these as a symbol on your forehead and on your arms. Okay? Talk about them. When you get up, when you lay down. Basically, these things that God has done for you, who you know he is, let that become such a part of you that it is like seeping out of every pore. So whether it be a niece or a nephew or a grandchild or just some close friends that have kids and you're around their kids, think about who it is that is a member of the next generation that you either are currently impacting or that you could start to. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is key... If we want to take possession of a new place, of a new land, if we want to change a culture, we've got to be impacting the kids. Do you understand that? It starts it starts there. If they don't catch on, then give it 20, 30 years and where are we? Right? It's key. So I just want to show you a real quick picture. This is a Jewish guy. And literally what it means, if you see there, is see that little box on his head? Looks like a weird hat. And then he has these bands on his arms. That is figuratively what Moses was saying. Keep the word so close. And of course, some of these uh, really devout Jews have taken it so literally that they literally place God's word on their forehead and tie it on their arms. Now, we don't have to do that, but I think it's a pretty cool picture of the way that God desires for us to hold his word near. So in order to hold it near, we have to be in it. We have to know it. And then it naturally spills over to the kids that were around. All right, let's keep going here. So moving on to verse 10, Moses goes into a little bit of a warning. He says, when the Lord, your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, listen to this. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. So notice there what he says will lead us to forgetting. What culture does that sound like to you? Drinking from wells that you did not dig? I don't know, maybe a few of you have dug your own wells, but not many of us. Living in houses with things that we did not provide? Eating food that we didn't necessarily grow? Okay, there's something about living in a culture where I can walk into a grocery store and have more food than I can even possibly imagine or turn on my tap and get clean water anytime I want. Something about living in a culture like that, I think that tends to lull us to sleep because we get comfortable so fast, don't we? It's so easy that who needs the word? And God, really, we're self-sufficient. America, right? And we forget and suddenly we start getting a little bit confused about whether the truth we're hearing is truth based on the word or is it based on the culture? Is the American dream God's dream? What? Who? And suddenly we're just walking around kind of in a dazed stupor and we really don't know what we, what, we, what we believe or why. And Moses said, be very, very Careful because those are the kind of things that are going to make you forget. Telling you now, not much has changed, right? Then he goes on to say, I'm going to skip a couple verses down to verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, What is the meaning of? Of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord has commanded you. In other words, why? Why do we do all this? Here's what you say. Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. And I love this verse. But he brought us out from there to bring us in, amen, and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Alright, so as you can see, he's telling them, do the opposite of forgetting. When your kids, when the children in your community are asking you why, why do we do all of this? Remind them of who God is and what he has done. But guess what? In order to remind them of that, we have to know. We have to have a story. Okay, so how does this apply to you? Pretty simple. First of all, I want you to understand that it is your God-given responsibility to disciple the young people around you. Now, you may say, well, she's the kids director and she's just trying to manipulate me into serving and hope steady kids. No, I promise I'm not. That'd be great if you did. But more, way, way, way more than that, I want God's truth to be passed down to our next generation in a profound way, in a way that is going to change this community and this culture for the better. Okay? So I just want you to understand that if you are relying on the church to disciple your kids, that's a bit of a problem. In fact, I made a little graph for you. Jared's going to throw it up here on the screen. Did you know that that blue section right there symbolizes about the amount of time in an average week that your child has at church. Now we do what we can, we do. And we pray every week that their hearts will be full of his truth. But I even threw school in there because I thought some of you are gonna say, well, I don't get as much time as you said because my kids are at school, whatever. Yes, in sports, we get it. But approximately 78% of their time Is yours to steward. I thought that was pretty profound. That was convicting to me as a parent. 78% of their time. We get to steward. What are you doing with that 78%? To instill the values that are going to carry this generation further. Than this community has ever gone. What are you doing with that? Okay, number two, we all need to be regularly examining our worldview and asking ourselves is it biblically or culturally based? Again, like I said, living in America, being so comfortable, it is incredibly easy to forget and to not know which way's up and who, what, what do we believe, why this, huh? I don't know what I believe, or I think that's right. Maybe that's what the Bible says. It is so key that we know, that we know what the Bible says. George Barna is a researcher who uh, just does a bunch of different research on cultural trends. And you've probably heard of him. Last year, or actually two years ago, 2017, he did a study on biblical worldviews. And basically what the... Uh, Gen Xers and the Millennials, where they stood on biblical worldviews. This is how he defined a biblical worldview. He said, it's an absolute moral truth, or I'm sorry, it's a belief that absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is totally accurate in all the principles it teaches, that Satan is considered to be a real being, a person cannot earn their way into heaven, by trying to be good, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. So that's how he defined biblical worldview. Then he set out and he surveyed thousands of, like I said, Gen Xers and millennials who proclaimed to be strong, born-again Christians, They said their faith was very important to them. They went to church on a regular basis. So we're talking people just like you and me. Okay, and remember those statements that he asked them. The percentage, the percentage of those people who actually strongly agreed with each of those statements, (laughs) you want to take a guess? Twenty three. It wasn't even 23. No, that's my next stat. 17, 17%, 17%. That's sobering. Oh my goodness. Then he went on to ask these same guys. So how many of you agree that what is right or wrong depends on what an individual believes? So in other words, not on the word of God, but on what an individual believes. And again, these are strong evangelical believers who consider their faith very important and go to church. 23% of them said that faith or what is right and wrong totally depends on what somebody believes. 23%, one in four. Crazy, isn't it? But ladies and gentlemen, the only way that that tide is going to change is when we, as called out, delivered believers, accept the responsibility to learn for ourselves a biblical worldview. Because maybe you're sitting here saying, well, I never had anybody tell me about it. You should have seen the house I grew up in. I get it. But guess what? Today's a new day. And you can start today. Today. You can commit today to walk out of here and learn to be intentional with what you believe. And if you're sitting here saying, you know, I just, I really don't know, we have these amazing discipleship classes taught here multiple times a year. We're on a little break right now, but they start up again in a couple of weeks, right, Brent? Yes. yes. And they're on Sunday nights it's a great starting point for you to start learning what a Christian worldview even looks like, why you believe what you believe. So I encourage you to check those out. Okay. Third, be able to communicate your deliverance story. How many of you have really taken the time to think about what it even means to you that you are saved, right? Good southern term, saved by the blood. Well, what does that mean to you? That he brought you out so that you could be brought in. Where has he delivered you? What does that look like in your life? Who has he been to you? Can you talk about that? Have you ever written that down? Would you be willing to tell somebody younger than you? Or are you too engulfed in shame and choked up with guilt from your past? That you are in hiding. When the Lord says, Listen, yes, that happened, but I am in love with you and I am going to deliver you so that you can tell other people the power of who I am and I will be glorified in your story. Do you trust him enough that he can make something good and amazing out of your story? That he can use it if you will open your mouths and stop being too afraid. If you actually are willing, when there are people around you younger than you who need, need, do you hear me? Need to hear your story. Are you willing to share it? Are you ready to share it? Do not be held captive to the lie that Satan wants to keep you captive to that it's going to be so damaging and it's going to ruin their lives. And if my kids ever knew or if my grandkids ever knew or if my nieces and nephews ever knew, it would just ruin them and they need to think I'm perfect. Bull crap. (laughs) They need to know, I just said that on stage, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) They need to know that you are real That you are not perfect, but that you are you have been broken and you have been healed and put back together by a sovereign, loving God, full of mercy. Do you hear me on that? So I just want you to think about that today. I want you to think long and hard. Are you ready to tell? Your story. And maybe you're sitting here today and saying, what are you even talking about? Story. Because you've never walked with God. There are people, myself, Pastor Scott, a lot of people in here who would love to pray with you afterwards and talk to you about what that means, what that looks like to start a relationship with a God that loves you so, so much. All right, go on, last verse here in chapter uh, 6, verse 25, and we're going to talk about the one thing that differentiates really this passage from Old Testament to New Testament. This is kind of the key behind it all here. Okay, I want you to hear what Moses said at the end. He said this. Verse 25, and if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord, our God, as he has commanded us, listen to this, then that will be our righteousness. Seriously, can you imagine if I was standing up here telling you today that every word that had just come out of my mouth, you need to keep that because that's going to go ahead and be your righteousness? The stress, the pressure, and sadly, I hate to say it, but I feel like some of you are probably still living under that old covenant lie today, scared to death that you are not going to keep every law, every rule, and that you're going to ruin it, and maybe you already have. Forget it. You're not righteous. Lies. Let me just call that out right here and now. Because we have a better covenant now through the blood of Jesus. In Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel was another Old Testament prophet and he foretold of a time that was coming in verse 36, 27, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. I can't help but think that maybe he was talking about those stone commandments, right? Those 10 commandments, trying to keep the law. He says, I will put my spirit in you and move you. Listen to this. I will put my spirit in you. That's God talking I will put my spirit in you, not you will earn my spirit. I will put it in you. I will move you. I will move you. You will not move yourself to follow his decrees. In the new covenant, it's not on you. Now, yes, we have a responsibility to uphold his holiness, but it is through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. He moves us to follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. Do you hear me on that? You are not alone wandering in the wilderness hoping that you are going to do the right thing today. Because you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, promised for the day of redemption, and you have his power working in you to help you to ensure that you are obeying everything he is asking you to do. So if your family is falling apart and your kids are a disaster and your marriage is just in the toilet, guess what? There is hope and there is power through the Holy Spirit working in you. New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin. To be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the what? That's right. You have become the righteousness of God. So why are we squalling around on the ground in the dirt, living like beggars and slaves? Can you tell me that? Why can we barely pick our heads up to smile at somebody because we are so afraid and bent in our own shame when we have been clothed with the righteousness of God. Don't you ever forget that. Andrew Murray, one of my favorite authors, kind of along the lines of C.S. Lewis, he's pretty profound. I'm gonna leave you with a quote from him today. says, we have learned what the fault was with the covenant. That's the Old Testament covenant that Moses was talking about. It made God's favor dependent on the obedience of the people. We have now learned how the new covenant remedied that defect. The new covenant being the blood of Jesus. God himself provided For the obedience. Is that not good news? It changes if you keep my judgments to I will put my spirit in you and you shall keep my judgments. So now we have a helper and he is with you. You are not doing this alone.